Jamie. And I'm Beth. Welcome to Thief Steals the Podcast. Where I steal the podcast. And I steal it back. Okie dokies. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 6, The Carnival Job. Beth, what did you think? I don't really know, <laughs> if I'm being super honest. This is the first episode of Leverage I've watched in a while where I kind of just wasn't that invested. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude. Wild to me, that se- sentence. Well, like... I don't know. Something about it was just kind of... I don't know. I feel like it, it just didn't hit in the way that I've come to expect Leverage to hit. I don't know if it was just because, obviously, like, they did something very different with this episode. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just, like, a bit jarring. <laughs> I don't know. Like, something felt off this episode. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't quite... I couldn't quite get into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. It just wasn't... It, it didn't enthrall me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe it's because... Normally, with an episode of Leverage, we are introduced to a mark, and we, like, are... There's no one to hate this week. Yeah. That, because... like, might honestly be it. Like, of all the stuff that they did differently this episode, that is maybe the thing that was the most different, because there was no consistency in who was the target. Mm-hmm. Like, it changed, like, three times, and in very quick succession, and I don't know, I just... There were just also a couple of things where I was like, I don't really feel like this was maybe executed very well, or there were parts where I was just so distracted by some of the directing decisions that I was barely paying attention to, like, what was actually happening in the scene. The circles? The spinning! Oh yeah. my god! Nate does, like, three fucking laps of that bloody table as soon as he's like, right, here's the situation, blah 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 blah. Like, he's just walking in circles, and I'm like, what is happening? And then Elliot is just talking, and there's spinning and spinning, and then the kid is sitting there, and it's spinning slower, and in the other direction, then we come back to Elliot, and it's spinning really... I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, I have no idea what they were saying, because I was just like, why is it spinning? Why is it spinning it so now. much? Like, and I get it. Like, maybe they're trying to disorientate us. Maybe that's the point. But, yeah, I don't know. It's like about... Some of the dialogue this episode, I don't know, something about the execution, it just, I, I just, it felt kind of empty? I don't know. I don't know. Like, there were, don't get me wrong, there were things I liked about it. There were some definite highlights, but I just feel like the episode overall was of a lesser quality than usual, and it's the, the probably, for me, the least enjoyable episode that I've seen since, like, season one. Like, it just, I just couldn't... Ooh, big word. I just couldn't get into it. Like, I don't... I don't know if this is a spicy hot take either. Like, it might very well be. I might be offending a bunch of people. Yeah, I think it is a spicy hot take. A lot of people really like this episode. Really? I I will lay out some of the reasons that I've seen people say they really like this episode. Obviously, okay. this is not indicative of the whole fandom. This is just my experiences no, I'm in my own corner fandom. But I know a lot of people really like the fact that it is that bit more morally gray. Like, they're not just going after some straight-up bad dude. Like, he is a more sympathetic character and like we do get Sophie saying this week like it's not greed it's grief this guy is not motivated by money he's motivated by his grief for his dead wife which I think this is actually the first time we've had a dead wife in leverage like I think I think this is a landmark we've had dead sons (laughs) dead husbands but I don't think we've had a dead wife yet oh my god like not not a dead wife that's used as like a story beat yeah. I don't know. I I understand how you could find that appealing, but I personally didn't find I think I think I was mostly just confused mm-hmm. by the like dad in this episode. Like I didn't understand. Like I understand that he's grieving his wife mm-hmm. and grief makes you do wacky things. Mm-hmm. But this was giving Winchester house vibes. Like you know yeah, the I was lady gonna say, like low key he's low key John Winchester coded. Well, it's so funny that you say that because that's not as, at all what I mean. I mean like the actual IRL Winchester house. 
where the lady's son and husband died and then she went and saw a spiritualist and they told her a psychic or whatever and then they told her that the spirits wanted her to keep building a house eternally and if she ever stopped then they would get her and she would die oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's what it's giving you know like i don't really understand like i get that he wanted to finish the renovations because like you know we get from molly this episode that his wife started them and stuff and it's like in her sort of memory or whatever but i I molly describes it as a shrine and the way nate describes it is that he needs to exert control over his situation because he feels like he's out of control of his life Mm. yeah i don't know i don't know i just to which we get a very pointed sophie look at nate so Mm. actually one of the things i did really like about this episode is when at the very beginning nate is talking about like lose the guy losing his wife and he's reading Mm -hmm. you know the character basically and the camera pans and sophie comes into focus over nate's shoulder Mm -hmm. and nate is saying like he loves her but he can't like look at her because he sees what he's lost lost. in her yeah exactly and i was like oh that's cool like that's fascinating i love that as like a directing choice i love the implications there and then the the camera like focuses in on sophie and then she carries the next line and i was like oh this is that's really interesting as like a commentary on them Mm. and where nate's at because I think it's obvious, like, you know, the last couple of episodes, we've talked a lot about Nate and Sophie, and they're kind of dancing around the fucking obvious, which is, like, you like each other, you want to be together, but you're just making up excuses as to why you shouldn't be, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating for me, personally. But it's interesting that they then have this, where, you know, Nate says, like, he loves her, but he just can't look at her because blah, blah, blah. And then Sophie, like, I think falls into that. Like, he looks at Sophie, and he wants to be with Sophie, but he remembers what it was like to be with Maggie and to lose Sam and, you know, and it's just not... The grief is too much. Yeah, he doesn't, well, he doesn't want to risk that loss again, you know? And, like, I get that. I thought that was a really interesting application of, like, a camera technique mm-hmm. to to draw those parallels without, like, devoting text to it or time to it. I think the other thing is that it's sort of, like... Why I said that this dude's kind of John Winchester coded is like he lost his wife and then he kind of just neglected his child a little bit. Difference is he had money and it wasn't supernatural, so he didn't go on a revenge mission. mission. He just went on a compulsive yeah, upgrade the house mission. I kind of want to know. Like, we don't find out any information about how or why the wife died. No. And I kind of want to know, because, like, obviously he has, like, this massive fucking fixation on personal safety. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, was the wife taken out? Like, was the wife murdered? Like, what happened? Because why the fuck would you need a panic room like that? I would say maybe it was, like, a home invasion or, like, a robbery or, like, a mugging or something like that. I kind of wish we got just, like, a little bit more information. Mm. Because, and to be fair, in saying that, we get that whole fucking info dump monologue from Molly. And, like, I don't don't know. I I know you said this is kind of a spicy take, but I just, like, I hope I'm not offending anyone, but, like, I didn't really like Molly either. Like, I felt like... She felt like a very much, like, two-dimensional, like... I don't even know how to describe her. She didn't seem to have a lot of depth. Yeah. Like, she didn't really seem to be mourning or anything like that. Like, she... She just seemed like a brat. Mm -hmm. And, like, I get that she's going through a lot or whatever, but, like, the way that her dialogue was written and presented, it was just like, mm, I'm not like other girls. Like, I don't like carnivals mm. kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, like, I get it. You were, like, made to grow up too fast or whatever. But there were other ways that this could have been presented, which wouldn't make you feel so just kind of, like... Ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I know that the whole point is that her and Elliot are supposed to be bonding, but I don't really get that energy either. Like, it just kind of feels like they're both being very standoffish, but not in a way where there's any kind of like, I don't know, like, you know when a character is kind of being a dick, but like, it's endearing? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that. It just feels like they're both being very standoffish and like, Elliot's trying, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But I, yeah, I don't, I'm really struggling to put it into words. Yeah. I think the other thing that people really like about this episode is just the way that they do, they're like, we don't give a shit about the con, it's about the kid now. Oh, yeah. And just the way that they, like, the switch up, the switch up and the, the way that you can see that even though, like, this trip is massively important. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter quite as much as... The safety of... Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, obviously that makes a lot of sense and I liked that too. But I was just generally... I, I don't know. I, like, I really don't know how to put it into words, but just something about this episode just didn't hit. Mm. And I don't know if it was just because they switched out the, like, normal style of a leverage episode or, or what, but I just couldn't... I wasn't as invested in the characters. Mm. I... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's hard because I recognise that this is, like, a very, like, Elliot-focused kind of episode, but I... The bits that I liked best about the episode were the things that were happening away from Elliot. And so it's like, like, I really loved the interactions between Parker and Hardison. I thought they were interesting. Mm -hmm. I really liked, you know, like I said before, the, like, shots on Nate and Sophie and some of the dialogue there. I really enjoyed the scene, despite Nate fucking walking around in fucking circles around the table a million times. I really liked that energy when he decided, like, nope, we're switching up. Like, we're just going to come clean, tell this guy what's happening because the daughter's more important. Like, I really liked that. And, like... I don't know, just the stuff with Elliot and the girl. Some, I don't. We've seen Elliot be good with kids before. Mm-hmm. We have seen Elliot form really impactful relationships with kids before. Like, I can't think of what it was called, but what's that episode in, like, season two that I loved with the hospital? Yes, that was the the Order 23 dog. Yes, you know, and, like, the, the one with the science are cool and, like, the kids and stuff there. The very good parents' job. Yeah. And like, also the other one that comes to mind is the King George job where he immediately bonds with the small child in the airport. Yeah, and, like, we've seen even, like, last week's episode we had, like, Hardison and Nate with the kid and, like, in the boost job we had Josie with Parker and, like, we've seen the crew working with kids before. We've seen the crew engaging with children and, like, building a rapport and, like, it working, like, making a lot of sense and feeling very genuine. Something about this just didn't hit for me. Like, I feel like they were just... It kind of felt like there were scenes missing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how else to explain it. Like, the whole thing about the mirrors. Like, when Elliot is teaching her how to pop the balloons. Which I was like, okay, cool. He's teaching her how to beat carnival games. Like, alright. Mm-hmm. But at no point in that scene did either of them really feel like they were having fun. Like, there's a moment where she actually does pop the balloon. And she seems, like, kind of happy. But, like, but generally speaking, during what should have been, like, probably quite a light-hearted scene. Like, especially with Parker, like, Commando crawling in the fucking background to steal the balloon mm-hmm. or whatever. It just didn't... I just didn't get that energy. Like, it just kind of seemed like they were both kind of bored. (laughs) And then, you know, there's the whole bit with the mirror. And she's like, oh, I don't really like mirrors. Like, I don't like what I see. And my immediate thought was like, oh, she must look like her mum. Right? And also considering we've already had that basically confirmed by Nate earlier in the episode when he says that, like, he loves her, but he just can't look at her because she's looking at what he's lost, lost. right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, like, he must look, she must look like her mom. And, like, then later in the episode, like, that's a clue that she gives to Elliot. Like, I don't like what I see. And that's how he knows she's in the House mm-hmm. of Mirrors. And I was yeah. like, okay, cool. Sure. But at no point in the episode do we ever see a picture of the mom or get any understanding on, like... And, like, I'm not saying that they have to explicitly spoon feed us. Mm-hmm. But, but you'd also, love something. But also, I'm like, I'm basing this off of nothing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Like, she could just have, like, that reading could just as easily be, like, she has body dysmorphia. Yeah. Like, there is no context, really, for, like, the daughter. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm like, it just feels like there's bits missing. And, like, that giant hug for her and Elliot at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. when he finds her, I'm like, I'm just not convinced by it. Like, I don't feel like you guys bonded that much. You just wish we got actually more in that relationship so that everything else made a bit more sense. Yeah, like, it feels like they're trying to explain, like, it feels like they're supposed to have this really intense bond. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't... After an afternoon. Yeah, and also after an afternoon that neither of them really seem to have that much fun, like, doing anything. Mm -hmm. Like, Elliot, like, explicitly did not want to go to the carnival. And while he's at the carnival, he's not enjoying himself. It's not like he got a break. It's not like the gone fishing job. No. It's not like he was like, you know, I want an afternoon off. I'm going to take the fucking kid to a carnival. It's not like he was arguing that the kid deserved to have a bit of fucking fun. No. He was made to go, and then while he was there, he was barely paying her any attention. Like, he showed her the thing with the gun or whatever. Yeah. But, like, you know, it was just, like, I just feel like it's one of those things where they're trying to convince me of something, but they haven't actually... Given you the evidence for it? Yeah. They're telling me something, but Mm -hmm. they're not actually proving it. Yeah. You know? No, that's, like, personally not my read of the episode, but, like, I can certainly see how you can pull that as your conclusion. I think we need a pivot, because otherwise... The vibes will be off. Let's move on to Parker Hardison, Parker 2000. Oh my god. How yes. do you feel about Parker 2000? I love Parker 2000. I think it's so fucking cute. But I also understand why Parker hated it initially. Yeah. Like, there's just a miscommunication occurring here. Yeah. It's like, for Hardison, this is this massive romantic gesture. He's, like, made Parker 2000 to help Parker. Like, everything he's done here is because he loves Parker and he wants her to have the best. I also think it's a question of safety as well. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if they have this, like, machine... It's kind of like a like a bomb defusal robot. Yeah. Like, if they don't have to keep putting her in harm's way, you yeah. know? But, like... It's designed to make her job easier and safer. Yeah, but then obviously she takes that as, like, you're trying to replace me or you don't think I'm, like, good enough or whatever. And, like, I totally understand her reading on that. Also, we do get the iconic line, I'm a safe-cracking device. Yeah. Which, yes, you are, babe. You absolutely are. I love that for her. But, like, I love that... I love that it is so clear how much Hardison cares about her. Mm. Like, the moment when she gets those glasses on the the dude, Mm -hmm. and he's just, like, watching her face on the screen, I was like, oh, my God, you little nerd. You love her. Like... It's oh my just god, how embarrassing for you. It's like written all over his face and it's so cute. And like I think she kind of knows, but I don't think she fully understands no. how gone he is on her. I think it's the sort of thing of like Parker's so used to not being loved that she doesn't actually understand. Like she doesn't recognize it? She doesn't recognize it. She's so used to like, you know, from Archie to like when she was in the foster care system she's so used to sort of being the extra or the spare or like just sort of there yeah that like even when somebody cares about her because I would argue that Archie does 100% care about her even if he's an absolute fucking trash human being and doesn't know how to show it yeah like I think it's just sort of like she's so used to like not being shown how people actually feel that she doesn't know what to do when somebody is showing her how they feel. Yeah. And I think it's difficult as well because obviously, like, in this particular episode, like, Hardison has not really explained. No, he hasn't told her at to all her. that, like, it's a gift for her. Yeah. Until the very end scene when Nate Ford, the little fucking shit, is like, 
He's such a little asshole. <laughs> He's like, I'm really just gonna like bring this all up again. Like Artisan has thought he's like dealt with it. Ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh. I'm bringing this right back up. Yeah. No, I think it's very fun. I also one other thing that confused me in this episode mm-hmm. was like when Parker is trying to crack the safe, mm-hmm. and I keep making the point that she has very little time because like they're trying to distract the dude or whatever, so he yeah. doesn't know she's in there. And then she just fucking stays in there for yeah. so long, and I'm like, babe, get out, get out. Like they keep cutting back to her, and she's still sitting in the fucking room. I'm like, my dude, get out. Like go. I- Go! Like, they, you've just spent the last minute and a half telling me how little time she has and how far she needs to go and them having that argument about her using the robot or not and then using yeah. the robot and it being so much faster and this being this great thing. And then she just fucking sits there. And, like, to be fair, in the end it doesn't matter anyway because they have to do the reset because Molly's been kidnapped and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But it's still like, come on, Parker, you're better than this. It's Yeah. It you're just, better than this. You know better than this. It just didn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> But no, I do love Parker 2000. I love that it's green. I love that it's green because it's her favourite colour. I love that she immediately claims it and then names it Hardy. That's hilarious. And I also love, like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, it looks like a frog. It's like, oh, how the tables have tabled when she names it Hardy, though. (laughs) I know. She's really like, "Mm, no, (laughs) I've decided this. And therefore. Do you know what it kind of gives me the vibe of? What does it give you the vibe of? You know Canine from Doctor Who? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of the energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. But no, I love Parker and Hardest for this episode. I think they're so cute. They're so wholesome. I really hope that we get some more progression for them this season. Mm-hmm. Just because I think of the relationship dynamics, they're the ones I'm most invested in. Because, like, yeah. Nate and Sophie, I'm like, yeah, I get, I get it, you know? Elliot, they're going to get together. It's fucking fine. Like, Elliot, I would argue, is, like, He's not paired up, but I don't think he has to be. No. That just doesn't seem to be a motivation for his character. And, like, Mm. even at the end of this episode, he, like, goes off with, quote-unquote, the nurse. And, like, sure. (laughs) Sure. We're doing that. Okay. Like, Hardison says, I don't think she's registered, and I agree. Uh, I don't think she's a nurse either. And if she is, well... (laughs) What a woman. She can do literally everything. Yeah. I don't know. I I get the vibe that Elliot is freewheeling. And that's, Mm. you know what? Good for him. He also takes getting injured very, very lightly. Oh, my God. Like, so lightly. There is an episode later on where we get the – and I this is a line that I'm quoting from him, which a character asks him, oh, you've been shot twice. And he's been – he goes, I've been shot a lot more than that. And he's like – the other character's like, well, how many times? And he's like, you lose count. Yeah. Getting injured is not really a a concern for him. He just sort of gets injured and then he recovers and he's fine. Like, he doesn't think about it anymore. One thing I will say is that I've, like, criticised Leverage before for having, like, hitters be able to take out Elliot because I'm like, Mm -hmm. you haven't actually shown me that he can be taken taken out. out. You've pretty much made him invincible. So whenever they try to convince me that fucking goon number three has gotten a hit on him, I'm like, I don't believe you. And, like, when they had him fighting in the carnival with the Russians, and, like, originally, like, the Russian got a hit on him, and I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, I don't really believe you. But then they had him be hit with the machine. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I believe that. It's taken a lucky shot and made it, oh, no, this is something that, like, Elliot probably actually couldn't recover from. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, if they had just had, like, Russian goon number four... Mm -hmm. Take you him know, out. They take him out. I would have been like, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You haven't actually given me any grounds to believe that that is We've a, had like, possibility. Canonically, one character come close to taking Elliot out. 
Yeah. And that was all the way back in season one when we saw, I think his name's Mr. Quinn from... I but would, even then, he doesn't succeed. He comes close, but he does not succeed. And I would even argue maybe um, the woman from the episode where Chaos is first introduced. Oh, uh, yeah. Mikkel Dien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Basically, we've had about two hitters in canon confirmed to be close to getting, you know, the better Elliot. of Elliot. Yeah. And that's and about like, it. <laughs> especially because Nate says to Elliot, like, do your worst or whatever. Yeah. And I was like... There's no way that this Russian dude is getting a hit in on Elliot at, you know, mm. top of his game. There's no fucking way. And so then I was like, okay, when they took him out with the ride, I was mm-hmm. like, that makes okay. sense. Yeah. But also, what confused me was that for so long, like, even after Elliot was unconscious, no one except Elliot was responding to Molly. Like, yeah. they can all hear her. Like, it's the general comms. He hasn't put her on, like, a specialised... No. And, like, first of all, actually, I was surprised that he even had a spare one. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not something that's ever been, like, canonised before. I get why they would have spares, but it's not something that we've ever known before. Do you think they started giving Elliot spares because he kept on getting, like... Taking them out? Punched and shit and, like... Like, like, and he'd get punched and And then basically... And he'd get, like, knocked out. Maybe. But, like, I was like, okay, so he has a spare. Like, mm-hmm. it's technically something that we've never been shown before, but, like, it does make sense that they would have a spare. But then, like, yeah, no one is responding to Molly. Mm-hmm. Only Elliot is responding. And then he gets knocked out and he's not responding. So, like, then no one else for, like, a full minutes says anything to her. And mm-hmm. she can clearly hear the rest of them, too. Yeah. Like, so I just don't understand wh- what was happening there. It just seems like a whack Seems like an interesting choice. It just seems like an oversight mm-hmm. in the writing, which I'm not used to from Leverage. Like, maybe that's what is, like, knocking me about this episode. Because even, like, when they decide that, you know, okay, we have to change tack and we have to focus on saving Molly. All of a sudden, they just have the plans for the carnival. Oh, yeah. I was... Like, I want to know their printer. How the hell did they get printed where, plans of the carnival so quick? Right? Like, where the fuck did they come from? It was like they were already on the table. And I was like, from like, What? What occasion did they have to have these plans leading up? Yeah. And it's not like, I'm sure there's a printer in Lucille, but, like, Hardison doesn't ever go in the house. Like, it just was confusing. It just, yeah. Look, I give Leverage a lot of slack, obviously. It's my favourite show. Of course I'm going to give it a lot of slack. Mm. But, like, yeah, I don't know where they got those plans from. And if they have a printer that can produce stuff that quick and, like, deliver it to you, can I get that number? Because, like, <laughs> frankly, remarkable. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But, oh, I have another question as well. Why? This never ends badly for me. <laughs> so, obviously, they have the housekeeper. Yeah. Right? But, oh, actually, this is something completely different. Okay. So, so you just, you're like, I had well, a thought and I'm giving up on that thought. No, 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 no. I had two thoughts, but they're both pertaining to the housekeeper. So, the housekeeper, and this is like a pivotal point in the episode, her phone is ringing and she's like, oh, your father is calling. And then yeah. she does this thing, which they do in TV all the time and it confuses the fuck out of me. Like, they've done this in Supernatural before as well and I've called it out. The phone is ringing. Mm-hmm. To the point, she's like, your father is calling. Yeah. Pulls out the phone. It's a text message. Mm-hmm. That's not a call. No. And that's not what a text tone sounds like. What? It's so stupid. Do we think that she, like, customised it for the drama? Maybe. Maybe, but she specifically says, like, your father is calling. It, yeah. It doesn't like, make any sense. It's so silly. Anyway, that's not the point that I was going to make. The point that I was going to make is they've got the housekeeper, and she, like, mm-hmm. seems to double as, like, a nanny kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Sure. But then this, like, Elliot shows up as a security guy, and I must have missed something, because mm-hmm. I thought Elliot was coming as a security guy as, like, general maintenance to, like, check on the safe room. Yeah. 
Like, I or assume not that's... not necessarily this, but to come and check on, like, the CCTV and all the security measures. Yeah, got because, like, their whole cover is that they're redeveloping the house. Mm-hmm. And so I assume, like, oh, yeah, it makes sense for them to call in Elliot or, like, to call in the security to, like, check the cameras or whatever, check the wiring, make sure they're not going to disrupt mm-hmm. anything. And they, they just replaced the actual dude with Elliot. Like, sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But then the dad is like, we'll go get Molly. And Elliot's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, good question. What? what? Like, why is... He hired this is this is why I was like, was the wife fucking taken out? Why does his daughter have a personal bodyguard? And like, why is the bodyguard not around all the time? All the time. Why is he on shift? Mm. Like Because also we don't see we don't see Elliot swap out with somebody. No. It's not like the daughter just has like a personal bodyguard because he's paranoid. Mm. Like I I just confused the shit out of me. Like I just assumed that Elliot was going in as like a mate, another maintenance dude. Yeah. But then all of a sudden he was like a personal bodyguard, and I was also like, surely, like they make a point that this guy is like fucking up to his eyeballs in debt. Why wouldn't? Why would he have a housekeeper who doubles as a nanny and a separate bodyguard? Why would he not just hire a bodyguard to double as a nanny? Like you're watching the kid anyway. I'm sure they could make her a sandwich if they needed. Like, and she's old enough; she could fucking make her own sandwich. I mean, Elliot could absolutely make the kid a sandwich. Yeah, Chef Elliot in the house. Chef like, Elliot in the house. Like, I was just very confused by the point mm-hmm. of that. Like, the structure of the household just doesn't seem right at all. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I think this is why I was like, why are we not getting any info on the mum? Like, because, what like, happened to the mum? She that, seems like, like the missing link in this mm-hmm. story. You know, but we learn nothing about her. She is dead wife. Nothing else. Yeah, and I'm just kind of like, this is why I feel like maybe it's missing scene. Like, maybe, maybe they had a cut more than they normally do, or, like... Yeah, like, or even, you know, I was mentioning earlier, we had the jobs, like, even, like, the stork job, or the boost yeah. job, where Parker is, like, heavily relating to these kids. Like, the relationship that they seem to be trying to push between Elliot and Molly feels like Elliot should be heavily relating to Molly. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see why he would be heavily relating to Molly. Like, unless there's something about Elliot's past that I don't know yet, but if there was, this seems like the time to reveal that. And there was no Elliot backstory reveal in this episode. No, not at all. Like, and, like, you know, we know that Elliot is protective of kids. We know this. But, mm-hmm. like, this just... And we also know that Elliot is a character who feels a great amount of regret and shame. But, like, it just doesn't seem to... Like, the math ain't mathin'. Yeah. I I just don't... The thing is, I really want to like this episode. I'm just really struggling to understand a lot of its fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels off. Yeah. And I really can't pinpoint... What about it specifically is throwing you off? Yeah, it just feels like lots of little things. Like, like the spinning, right? Mm. Normally I'd be like, okay, that was a bit of a weird choice. But overall, like, it wouldn't bother me because, like, the rest of the episode would be pretty, like, flawless. Yeah. But, like, this episode, I just feel like there are so many bits where I'm like, that just didn't make sense. Or, like, that wasn't really addressed. Or, you know, like, bits and pieces where I'm like... So many opportunities for this episode to be really fascinating and interesting. And they just went, oh, well, we're going to spin instead. Yeah. You know, like, and, like, the mirrors, like, like, it was kind of cool. Like, I liked seeing the reflections Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I was also just, like... I also think the cinematography in the, like, the mirror fight scene is really good. Yeah, it has to be with mirrors like that. Yeah, And there's this moment where you sort of come over Elliot's shoulder and you can just see Elliot in the mirror. And then you get to a certain point and it switches to just being able to see the Russian. Yeah. I really like that. I think the the shot of that is really good. I agree. But it's like, and it's also like, you know, Elliot's head still spinning because he was just hit by a fucking... Yeah, machine. And, like, I get that. And that comes back to the disorientation of it all Mm -hmm. as well. But... Then he does that fucking thing where he just closes his eyes 
and like breathe real deep and he's suddenly fine and he uses the fucking force to find this dude like i don't i i just don't like okay if you're like concussed and you're already Mm. dizzy like a lot of what helps control your balance is like the liquid in your ears right Mm -hmm. but also your eyesight Mm -hmm. so if the fucking liquid in your ears is fucked and you're concussed Closing your eyes is not going to help. It is only going to, like, and it is more challenging is to that, balance with your eyes closed. I think the idea is that, you know, his vision is actually not helping him at the moment because of all the mirrors. Like, it's throwing it's throwing his vision off, so he's just better off not seeing. But Which I would maybe understand if he wasn't heavily concussed. Mm-hmm. Like, he would just fall over. And, like, I get that it's TV. I do. But again, it's like one of those things where it's like normally I'd be like, oh yeah, haha, it was a bit silly. I'd, I'd move past it. But just so many things this episode. Where like, haha, it's a bit silly. I physically can't move past like, it. Like, I couldn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he smashes the mirror and he like takes out that dude in like one hit and then he just wraps Molly up mm-hmm. in this hug. And I'm like, that's great and all, but I don't understand like. What's actually happening here. Yeah, I'm like, there's no emotional significance to me to that hug. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't formed a significant yeah. bond. It feels like they should have. It feels like they should have really heavily bonded, but like... It feels like they're trying to convince me they have. Yeah. But I don't believe them because they've not shown me that happening. Like, all of their interactions feel kind of bleh. I mean, that's one way to describe them. I, I, I don't know how to, like... I, I, I just don't know how to verbalise it. Like... I'm just watching it. It's just something is not clicking. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what. It's just not. And, like, to be fair, you know, caveat, caveat, media is subjective, blah, blah, blah. This is my opinion. But, like, my subjective opinion is, like, it just doesn't work. I don't think it's convincing. Like, I like Elliot. I just don't I just don't feel like this episode did anything for him. Because mm-hmm. I can see that it's trying to be framed as an Elliot episode. But I just don't think it You just works. wish it was an Elliot episode. We'd get actual Elliot content. Yeah, I feel like we learned nothing about yeah. him. We learned nothing about him. He didn't show us anything new. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when we've just come out of the Elliot season. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this episode feels like nothing. Like, this episode should be so healing from him to help. Like, because mind you, at the end of the day, like, we know now how much shit he has done and how much shit he has done at the orders of a man who really didn't give a shit about you know, Elliot or anybody else. Yeah. So it's like, it just doesn't feel right that we're now sort of not getting Elliot healing. Yeah. Like, like I just don't feel like, and I get that part of his, like, character is this, like, overly gruff exterior kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I really just don't feel like we got to see many breaks in that. Mm-hmm. And, like, usually the point of this kind of episode is to see the, breaks. the more vulnerable parts. Yeah. And, like, I feel like they tried to convince us of that but i just don't think they actually did it Mm -hmm. okay now i have an opinion Mm. and i don't know if you'll necessarily share my opinion but i want to get your take that's fine i feel like my opinion is not on this episode is not going to be why oh no it's nothing related to the episode oh okay this is just a fun little this is yeah i just i want to know because it is actually quite a significant portion of this episode and i just want to know how you feel about it sure so smart houses Oh, I hate them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know if I'm just like needlessly distrustful of technology, no. but like I feel like if it, I would never want something in my house that had to be connected to the internet that was vital for like life. the function of the house. <laughs> I think it's so silly. I think it's so like, silly. Here's a great example of why I think it's silly. My car. Now, I love my car. Mm-hmm. It's never really led me astray. Good old Travis. Good old Travis. Mm-hmm. But 
it has an electric unlock and lock system, mm-hmm. right? So if I want to get in my car, I've got to press a button. If I want to get out of, like, if I want to lock my car after I've gotten out, I've got to press a button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buttons. <clears throat> yes. Buttons, overall good. Mm-hmm. Smart houses, overall bad. Here's the thing about it, though. If the fob, you know, with the buttons, yeah. dies, there is a little slot and you push it and you can pull out a mechanic key so that if you, like, don't have a battery to replace with or whatever, you should be able to use the key yeah. in the you meantime. You can still get into your car. You can still start your car. But it's just a little less convenient. Here's the thing about it, though. I can start my car with that key. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fit the locks in my door. I cannot lock or unlock my car with the mechanic key. I can only start the engine with it. Yes, the look you're giving me is exactly how I felt when I realized this. That's a dumb fucking design, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To the point where the most recent time my battery died, normally I can tell that it's going to die because for like maybe the week leading up, it takes me a couple of goes to get my car Mm. like unlocked or locked. And I'm like, oh, I need to change this battery ASAP. Yeah. The last time it died, I got no such warning. It just suddenly wouldn't work. Yeah. I was out shopping with my 87-year-old grandmother. Okay. Yep. Who wasn't going to be much help (laughs) breaking into my car. So we were- My 87-year-old grandmother is great as a (laughs) So we're standing outside of Woolworths. We've got bags of shopping. Mm Mm-hmm. And luckily, the last thing I was able to do with my key before it died was open my boot. So what I had to do was climb through my boot, pull up the, like, divide, (laughs) and clamber into the back seat so that I could unlock it with the, like, flick on the door. And it's so dumb. It is so dumb that I had to break into my car to do that. Because the other option was I would have had to call, like, RAA Mm -hmm. to come and unlock my car for me. But I had a key. It is so dumb that I could not have been able to unlock my car. And that is how I feel about smart houses. Like, there, there is no need. There is no need for Google no. to be in control of the locks on my doors. No. Or the lights in my house. Or my TV. Or, like, it's like fucking fridges that you can connect to your phone. For what? So that you can monitor the temperature? Why? Why? Like, I think that there are some functions that are good. Like, I feel like, you know, particularly if you are a person who struggles with mobility, mm-hmm. functions like being able to turn on your lights or turn off your lights without having to get up or whatever, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can see the benefits to things. Like, I can understand, like, you know, it's raining and you're carrying a bunch of shopping and you don't mm-hmm. want to have to stop to pick out your key to undo the look. Like, I can see there being pros to this kind of technology. Oh, However, yeah, there's absolutely pros, but there's also so many cons. Yeah, at the end of the day, like, fuck, man, do you really, like... I also want to say that I am anti-smart home technology when it's like if your technology doesn't work, then you're fucked. Yeah, I guess that's more the point. Like, I am fine with smart home technology if it's like, oh, if this is just going to make it a little bit more convenient for you. Yeah. But then if, you know, you don't have Wi-Fi or whatever because there's a big storm and you got no signal. Yeah. Then it's like you just got to do it the old school, more inconvenient way. That's fine. Yeah. What I'm talking about is like, Shit, like, if, you know, for whatever reason, you can't pay your internet bill. And then because you can't pay your internet bill... You can no longer access your lights. Somehow you can no longer unlock your door to your house. This is... Like... Yeah, this is my point, like, with the car key analogy. Mm. Like, it's just silly that there's no backup function to lock or unlock the doors. Yeah. Like, I can start the engine, but that's not very much fucking help if I'm outside my car and can't get in. And it also means that... Assuming that my car, like, unlocker thing has died while the door is unlocked and yeah. I can get in and out, it means if I drive anywhere, I can't lock my car. Mm-hmm. I just have to leave it unlocked and hope no one tries to get into it. Which, to be fair, I don't think the odds of someone actually trying to break into my car are very high. But, you know, it's not none. It's not a zero risk. Yeah, 
Exactly. And like, it means that I can't like leave things in my car, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a higher risk that if someone did steal my car or did just open the car door, they would have access to a lot of stuff. So anyway, no, I agree with you. I have no issue with smart home technology. I just think that it's largely, you know, and like I said before, like, you know, mobility issues and stuff is like... Aside. Yeah. I think it's largely unnecessary. And even if you do have it, there should always be a manual override or a yes. manual thing in place. It's like if the power goes out, like, and you can't get your roller door up, there's, like, a pull string, so yeah. you can just manually lift it. Yeah. Right? You need to have those fail-safes. You can't just rely on technology. Yeah. yeah. And also, the other thing is, as soon as you add an element of technology, also adding security vulnerability. Risk. Yeah, because it's much harder to... Hack something that doesn't have a computer. Yeah. You know, you can't hack a front door unless it's got a microchip. Like... Mm. It's just basically adding another way that people could potentially yeah. exploit. It's adding more weaknesses to exploit, essentially. Yeah. Like, it's I, probably the best way I can think to describe it. I know someone who lived in a house where there was like a electronic keypad on their front door. Mm-hmm. And so instead of using a key, you put the key code in. Right? Yeah. And it opened. Except the battery would die mm-hmm. and the door wouldn't close. So, like, you would be, you could just open the fucking door. So, it's like, like, so suddenly, and even if you didn't, like, do that, there was, like, a backup key that was stored within the handle of the doorknob. So, like, you didn't actually need the code at all. You All you had to do was just find the key that was literally within five centimetres of the lock. And also, the key would be, I'm assuming, standard issue to all locks of that nature. Quite possibly, yeah. So, like, it's not, like... It's not actually any better security. If anything, it is much, much worse. Like, I stayed in that house, and sometimes you would come out, and the front door would just be open. Like, it would open in the middle of the night because the battery had died, and its, like, function was to unlock if the battery was dead. So that you didn't get locked out. Because for safety issues, you can't have... Yeah. You can't have a like people locked inside a house. No. So its safety function was just to unlock, but then you would get up in the middle of the night for a glass of water and find the fucking front door swinging open. Like Which is less secure. <laughs> Immediately less secure, yeah. But no, so they're like, well, like, and I get it. Like, Hardison is meant to be the sort of character who, like, would really enjoy these sort of things because it makes his life more fun. Yeah. I would maybe maybe describe it as. But I think he would also, more than anyone, innately understand the flaws. And the risks associated with having everything in your entire life. Be hackable. Be hackable. Because he hacks stuff for a living. Yeah. And how many times has he exploited stuff like this Yeah. to be able to get in and out? Yeah. It's like that whole thing of, like, you never think it'll happen to you. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to think that our boy Hardison is more self-aware than that. Yeah. Our boy Hardison is more self-aware than that. Like, he learned his lesson after Chaos hacked him. Yeah. Like, when he realised that, oh, no, there are actually people out there who could... Like, and I think, obviously, like, Hardison has extra, like, encryption and stuff in place to prevent that. But it's also, like, yeah, no, smart home technology is just something that's always... For me, it's just been a bit, like, concerning. Yeah. That it seems to be the massive sort of trend at the moment. Like... Everyone really be out here saying, like, oh, yeah, no, let's just entrust everything to the internet as if the internet has no flaws. Yeah. It's also just, like, a little bit... Mm. Like, it would not take that much for us to just lose access to so many things. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, we all saw how quickly Twitter went down the toilet. I think that 
it just makes sense for there to be like this is when like people argue that we should go cashless and I'm like no no we absolutely should not go cashless because there are so many things that could go wrong with Mm. like if you go cashless that means as soon as there's a power app or as soon as there's an internet issue or as soon as you know whatever no one can access any fucking money and also it means that like people who are say in like a dv situation are going to find it much fucking harder to squirrel away money if they need to make it an exit Mm. you know don't get me wrong i'm all for progress yeah but like we do need some of the older technology Mm. like there is a reason why we have it but no like it just smart houses freak me out personally Like, there's just something so terrifying about your entire life being dependent on the internet and the mega corporations that run the internet. Like, just, you know, and, like, I think, for me, the ones that are really especially terrifying are the ones that are, like, dependent on, like, Google and Amazon and other big companies known for... Corruption? Corruption (laughs) and mining a whole butt-ton of data. I know, it's so funny to me. People are, like, so scared about TikTok, and I'm like, okay, but, like... You act like TikTok is the only social media that's actively taking your information. Like, babes, that's all of them. I think that when it comes to privacy, we get so little of it that you have to cherish what you do get. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that everyone hates having to have, like, fucking 12 million different passwords and all of them having to be at least eight characters long and blah, blah, blah. But, like, my dudes, it's worth it. Like, just fucking come up with good passwords and, you know, whatever else because... Yeah. I can't talk. All of my passwords are terrible. Really? Yeah. IT people compliment me on my passwords. Oof. Like, you know when you have to, like, get your computer maintained or whatever and you Did have to you tell them your passwords? Did you get a good grade password? I've got multiple good grades in password. Oh, my God. Do you know what you do? You pick a word, mm-hmm. like, any random fucking word. Yeah. I Typically at least 15 letters long. Okay. And then you go through it and you keep the basis of the word, but you change, you put, mul- like, random capitalizations, you swap letters for numbers, you add in exclamation points and, like, dollar signs and, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's a word. So all you have to do is remember the word and then just remember what you changed about it. I find it so funny, though, that you've gotten a good grade and password. This is Bethany's unsolicited advice. Beth as the podcast, passwords Passwords with Beth. This is why whenever my friends share any of my streaming devices, they fucking hate me. Because I refuse to write any of my passwords down in a place that they can be accessed. Like, I refuse to text them. I refuse to send them via messenger or whatever. I will, like, verbally tell them, or I will log in for them, but I refuse to write it down and they hate me because they can never remember any of my passwords to anything. And I'm like, but that's the point, isn't it? They're a password. Yeah, that's the point. And, like, none of my passwords are the same for anything. Like, the passwords I have for all my streams, they're all different. But they're all based in that set. I just have to remember what word I used. You're a lunatic. <laughs> this is why IT people love me. <laughs> Cyber secure- Cyber hackers hate me. <laughs> that's how you get a good grade that's, in passwords. That's how you get a good grade in passwords, yeah. It is so fucking funny to me. But I still remember that. Like, I haven't used that password since I was, like, 17. I'm 24 now. And I still remember it. I just... I cannot get over good grade and password. Like, I... (laughs) I didn't realise good grade and password was something that you could achieve. I didn't know it either until the IT person who had to help me fix my laptop was like, wow, this is a good password. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah. I was like, thanks. You were, like, you got to admit that you would have been proud that he told you you had... A good password. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, most people just have, like, their pet's name and then, like, the year they were born. Like, you know, it's not... I'm, it's it's I'm not, not hard I'm to really get a good not com- I'm not really competing with anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. 
Like, that's the thing. Like, no, but the way you said that was, like, there's no competition. <laughs> well, no, it's Like, just everyone like else people, has shit passwords. No, just most people just, like, they want to have something that they can remember. So they use, like, their birth year for the four digits or whatever. And then, like, they use a pet's name and they might chuck in an exclamation point at the end. Like, that makes sense. But that's why I was, like, I need to come up with a way to remember more complex passwords. And, like, that's, like... I use that same tactic with everything. Like, all of my work passwords, I've, like, picked random words and, like, you know, changed them. But, no, I, yeah. Look, smart technology. I think that there are some really cool and innovative stuff getting done with smart technology. Mm. But then there's also a lot of really terrifying applications of smart technology that I think are... Yeah, I think that's just inherently the nature of tech, though. Mm. Like, I think, you know, you could talk about... Um, like we talked recently about GMOs. Mm-hmm. Like there is, like I mentioned in the episode when we talked about them, like there are definitely two sides to that argument and yeah. there is a hefty divide between and like there are good points on both sides of mm-hmm. that argument. So, you know, it it all comes back to, to tech and it all comes back to, you know, there being inherent issues. Like, you know, obviously at the moment the big debate is about AI mm-hmm. and like chat GPT and like these kinds of things. And I personally have just avoided chat GPT like the plague because I want nothing to do with it. But, you know, that's not to say that it wouldn't be a, an effective tool for some things. Personally, like chat GPT specifically for me is like, just doesn't interest me. Like, people are like, oh, but you can get it to write. It's like, but I'm perfectly, like, I'm perfectly capable of writing it myself. Mm. So, like, why would I bother getting an AI to do it when I could do it myself and it'd probably be less work? Yeah, I'm also a control freak. Oh, yeah. So, like, (laughs) I I wouldn't trust the AI. (laughs) Spilling tea on, spilling tea on back on the podcast. Yeah. Like, Beth is 100% a control freak. Like I'm a control freak. But I also like to extend the opportunity for everyone else around me to be a control freak as well. Look, when I say Beth is Nate coded, like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> like I don't wear dumb hats. And my voice only sounds like this because I lost my voice. But, like, it's not a dumb accent. Low key, <laughs> Beth hates it. Beth, Beth hates being Nate coded. But, like, also, yeah. low key, you are. Low like, you need, to, you need to know this. I'm like, a human with flaws, Jamie. Nate coded. <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic, but I am a. Uh, I mean, I am a control freak. I was about to say whatever you've got going with supernatural is the equivalent. <laughs> You're so right. Aren't you glad that I got addicted to supernatural and not like cocaine? Can you imagine if I was <laughs> addicted to a substance? <laughs> I would. It would be bad. Um, but no, I think I don't know. I like. I like doing things myself, you know? Mm. Oh, one thing we actually should probably get back onto the conversation of the episode. I'm so sorry to future Jamie trying to edit this shit. My bad. I adore. There's one scene in this episode that I fucking adore. Okay. It's not the scene that you're thinking. Okay. I love Sophie smacking the hell out of Nate. I, every time they get to fake fight, they get to fake argue, and Sophie goes for the fucking jugular. I'm like, yes, babe, get it. I, think I fucking love that shit. I think it's very fun. I'm like, yes, get that anger out. <laughs> it's maybe not the healthiest dynamic, but no. I do think it's entertaining from a media perspective. I also love the fact that the thing that this argument apparently was about was about whether to use the hardwood for Burma or Brazil. I know. Like that. And they're so passionate about it. They're both going for the fucking throat. And it's about hardwood floors. I also think that it's hilarious that the Mark this week listened to Sophie talking about what she was planning on doing with his neighbor's house and was like, yes, this is the mastermind I want behind my renovations. I must hire them. (laughs) I want a 20-foot glass and steel spire on my house. 
I think actually <laughs> what the crux of it is is less about Getting the spy the codes. and more yeah. about the fact that like what he was arguing with his contractor about was like the height of his property. Yeah. So like if you've then got these two people who clearly don't give a shit or they're buying them out basically. Yeah, who can clearly get a round code specifically regarding height. Like it's yeah. like that's a Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understood why. I just thought it was funny that he, like, heard her artistic vision. Also, there's, like, a point where he's, like, mad at Nate for, like, stealing his dirt. And he's like, says, put it back. But he points across the road. I'm like, bro, that's not your property. It's no longer your dirt. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that's council land, man. <laughs> this episode is, like, 90% not about the episode. Yeah, I'm sorry. Really sorry if you stand this episode. Apparently, Beth just didn't vibe. I just... I mean, here's the thing. Did you? I like this episode. What do you like about this episode? I have genuine curiosity. Because before you said what I think the fandom likes, but mm -hmm. that's not what you like. So personally, what I really love about this episode, I really love Parker Hardison, obviously. Mm -hmm. They're my Blorbos. I always love them. I love the little, like, you know, Parker 2000. I love that Parker's favorite color is green. Like, I love that Hardison knows her so well that, like, you know, he's been building this robot in secret to give her as a gift. I love the Nate-Sophie dynamic of it all. Like, I think I really adore that. I do differ in my opinion to you that I actually, I quite like Elliot's relationship with the kid. I can see where you're coming from. We don't see a lot of on-screen development with the kid. But I also think it's very much like it just shows like how how little Elliot has to bond with the child before he's ready to fucking murder for them. You know what I mean? Like it just shows how quick Elliot is to decide if people are his people. Oh, I also really love the plot twist that the Eastern Ukrainian housekeeper is actually the big mafia boss. Because mm. like women really can do everything. Do you know what's funny is I actually almost picked it. Yeah. I um I saw the tattoo in the scene where she mm-hmm. was telling Nate, oh, he doesn't want you back there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That tattoo is really prominent. Yeah. Um, And I was looking at the tattoo on the guy's neck and I was like, that looks really familiar. And I just like hadn't quite put two and two together when Nate like was like, oh, I want to speak to mm-hmm. her. And I was yeah. like, oh... Clicked it. Yeah. So, like, it took that extra seconds where, like, he basically alluded to it. But I was, like, I was kind of proud of myself for that. No, I get what you mean with, like, the Elliot thing. I just – I think it comes down to I didn't feel like – and I I really don't mean to be rude. I feel like the actress that they had playing Molly, Mm -hmm. I don't think she was that great. I also think she's – And she's a child actress. I think she's a child. So I think we can give her a pass for kind of poor acting. Yeah. And I – but I just think – the way that that monologue was presented when her yeah. and Elliot first, like, I really, it didn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, I just, I felt like there wasn't any real chemistry between them. Like, it just didn't feel very genuine. It didn't feel very natural. And like I said, subjectivity, personal opinions, like, no shade on anyone who likes this episode. And no shade on the actress either. I just didn't see it personally. I also just want to say maybe it's also coloured by the fact that you've been spoiled with Supernatural because the one area in which I would argue that Supernatural beats leverage every time... Child actors, man. Child actors. Yeah. How? They breed them at the CW. Like, because, yeah, like, I think we we get, like, a few child actors over leverage. But, like, I don't think any of them are as iconic. As any of the supernatural ones. As any ones. of the supernatural ones. Like, yeah. I think, like, they're certainly, like, they're not bad, but they're, like, they're child actors. Like, and child actors, I think, by virtue of being children, can only be so good. Yeah, no, like, I agree. I just think, like, I think what 
strikes me is that we have had more significant relationships between the team and kids, even as recently as last episode. Like I would even argue the last episode with Hardison and Nate and that kid was more like structurally built into the episode in a believable Mm -hmm. organic way than this episode. This episode just kind of felt like they were trying to force something to happen and they just the chemistry just wasn't there and it just wasn't happening for me. Yeah. And like I I really can't think of any other way to like eloquently explain it. And I apologize, I know I've been rambling a lot this episode, but I don't I just can't put my finger on it. No. And like I think I think honestly the difference is like you just don't see the chemistry between Elliot and the kid. Like, uh-huh. you just don't believe that relationship. Yeah. And, like, that's fair enough. That is a subjective opinion. You're more than welcome to have that. Thank like, you for your permission. <laughs> here on the podcast, I really like to let people, you know, feel how they feel. But, like... You're also welcome to disagree with me. That's I, kind of the point. Yeah. Personally, I just... I I do I do say I, I think... I think maybe they played up the jaded factor of the child a little bit too much. But, like, I also think it's, like, it's a very interesting episode from, like, an Elliot of it all perspective. Yeah. But then again, like, Elliot's also not my Blorbo. So it's, like, I just don't really – I don't really have the – I don't have the receipts because I don't focus on Elliot. Like, of the characters, Elliot is not one that I focus on. Like, I love Parker. I know you do. She is my Blorbo. I love Hardison by extension because you cannot love Parker and not love Hardison. Yeah. They are a package deal. I think Sophie is, like, fascinating, and I, like, hyperfix on her a lot. But, like, for some reason, like, Nate and Elliot, I just don't fixate on as much. I feel like the thing is, normally I quite enjoy Elliot. I just, this, like I said at the top of the episode, this particular one, I just... Something wasn't hidden for you? You know what it kind of feels like? It feels like a Carver episode of Supernatural where Sam gets put on the B-plot. And, like, nothing really of note is happening. Like, the rest of the Mm. team is having, like, Dean and Cass are off doing some funny, like, thing or some, like, interesting thing or whatever. Mm. And they're having, like, a really fun dynamic. And then you cut back to Sam and he's doing something kind of boring or, like, pointless. Yeah. That's kind of how this feels. And, like, the problem is that Elliot is not supposed to be doing something kind of boring or pointless. He's supposed to be the pivotal point of this episode. He's supposed to be the A plot. Why does he feel like the B plot? Yeah. Yeah, like, I think that is ultimately what it kind of comes down to. Like, I want to really enjoy what's happening with Elliot, and I understand that it is supposed to be the focus. Mm -hmm. I just don't really feel like it pans out very well, you know? And that's, like, I think it maybe it's the execution. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's just the fact that we absolutely adore Parker Hardison. I mean, maybe, but this is the thing, because I don't not like Elliot. I know, it just, like, that last scene, it just feels kind of weird. Like, it just, it feels out of place with Elliot's characterization, especially after the shift that we saw at the end of last season. Like, it seems, it seems weird. I don't often think about this in shows other than Supernatural, but Hmm. I kind of want to know what other Leverage episodes, if any, this writer has written. Let me, let me have a look for you. Let me... Let me... Just out of genuine curiosity, because something about it just... Like, I want to know if they've written anything else that I've really liked. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, I feel like maybe this episode felt like it was missing scenes or something. Like, I don't know if maybe... It's not a writer that I recognise. You know what's really funny, though? What? This episode was directed by Frank Oz. Mm. As in the person who voices Miss Piggy. Oh my god, what? <laughs> Miss Piggy, and he's also Yoda in Star Wars. That's fascinating. Why does he like spitting so much? (laughs) 
And that's probably why Parker 2000 looks like a frog, because of Kermit the frog. And Yoda, Mm -hmm. who isn't really a frog, but, like, he's a little bog man. Mm -hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Oh, I did have one other point that I wanted to make about this episode, which I think I mentioned, like, fucking 20 minutes ago. But there's, like, one scene where... Oh my god, when Elliot was mixing the chemicals in the deep fryer, yeah. and he's like, a little warning would have been nice, Hardison. And I was like, he literally told you to run. And then Hardison says, like, the exact same thing. And I was like, yes, exactly, baby, tell him. You literally told him to run, and he just didn't listen to you. But Like, you didn't tell him to run for nothing. What did... Yeah, what part of that instruction was unclear. But also, when... Uh, all of them are walking into the carnival like through the smoke I was like it was so funny to me I was like they look like they're about to drop the hottest album of 2009 like (laughs) just I just loved it like the slow-mo and the like dramatic walk and like the smoke everywhere and like all of them were wearing outfits that were decidedly like they didn't match at all but like somehow Mm. they were all they're all the same vibe they look like they're being put together but Hardison looked fly as hell this episode actually but Mm-hmm. I just thought it was very entertaining. Like, I quite liked that that shot. It just, it's so funny to me because I think for me what does it about that shot is Hardison's outfit. The red hoodie, right. the scarf, the vest, the fact the hoodie is pulled up. It was giving daredevil energy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really funny because we also do get the scene with Elliot where he's like, mm, I'm going to close my eyes and fight life. Yeah. It was so funny, actually, when we were watching that, because he had, like, the blood nose or whatever, and Mm -hmm. I made the note that, like, I was like, he looks like Sam, he looks like he's about to, like, do something fucking psychic, and then he closed his eyes and started fighting blind, and I was like, oh my god, I was right. (laughs) So it looks like one of the co-writers of this episode also co-wrote the Top Hat job. Okay. The San Lorenzo job. Oh, okay. Again, the same co-writer. Mm. So those were both episodes that The studio thought, job and the set, yeah, they'd be out here writing Elliot episodes. So they'd be writing Elliot episodes, but they're also writing episodes that I thought were fine. Oh my god, that is fast. The other dude who wrote this episode yeah. wrote some other episodes this season, and what a fascinating list of episodes. Okay. So they wrote this job, mm-hmm. which obviously, and the other two you haven't seen. So the two that they wrote are the boiler room job. Okay. Everyone knows why I think that one's interesting. And also the radio job. Everyone knows why I think that one is interesting. Okay. I obviously can't have an opinion on that. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that the other jobs that you listed, like the San Lorenzo job, the Top Hat Mm -hmm. job, and what was the other one? The... Elliot one. Hmm? What was the other one? San Lorenzo job, the yeah. top hat job, and tap out job. The tap out job. Like those were also episodes that I thought were fun. Yeah. Like I made the point at the end of season three that mm-hmm. like I thought that the San Lorenzo job felt kind of lackluster, like it was missing something. The same the top hat job like was fun and stuff, but like it wasn't a standout. And like the tap out job was. I mean, we got some iconic moments out of it, but ultimately it was kind of a... Like, I don't know. Like, I think that that actually kind of... I'm glad that you looked, actually. Because as much as I, like, genuinely like Leverage, those are episodes that I have felt have not been as great. What's fascinating to me, though, is the dude that wrote this episode also did the studio job. That was the one I was asking about yes, before. Not that the, is not the tap no, no. job, the studio job. I was thinking early season... Elliot-focused episode. Yeah. I thought Tap Hat Job. No, wrong season. It's season three early episode, Elliot-focused episode. Yeah. Which So it's interesting that they're doing Elliot-focused episodes, but it's also interesting that they're all episodes that I kind of felt were a bit... Like, they were fine. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's um that's interesting. So maybe it's just that these particular writers I don't vibe with. Yeah. 
Because there have definitely been episodes that have focused on relationships that Elliot's had and Elliot's background and stuff that I've liked mm-hmm. a lot more. So yeah. maybe it's just this particular writing mm-hmm. scenario that I'm just not vibing with for whatever yeah. reason. That is wild to me. So basically looking at these two dudes, every episode they've pretty well done, I would describe as either an Elliot episode or like not not an Elliot episode. You know okay. what I mean? So Elliot is their blowbo is what I'm saying. Elliot is their favourite, except they – one of the co-writers, M. Scott Veach, is also a co-writer on The Broken Wing Job, which anyone who's seen that episode can understand when I say that is not an Elliot episode, exactly why I'm saying that is not an Elliot episode. Like, it is not even sli- – like, that is, a, that is a very specific character episode and it is not an Elliot episode. Anyway, I need to not talk about this anymore because – I don't know, for me it's wild because, like, Leverage is one of those ones where I'm like, oh, you don't really have to, like, think about the writers. Like, they're pretty, like, it, like, doesn't make a significant difference. But I, it is fascinating, though, that you seem to be subconsciously picking up on, like, specific writers' things and being like, what can I tell you? Supernatural conditioned me. I knew the vibes were off. I couldn't tell you why, but I knew. <laughs> it's the writing. It's the writing. And mm-hmm. that's, like, why I said, like, earlier on, like, something about the dialogue just didn't fit. I felt like... You know, and I actually, now thinking about it, like, if we compare it to their most recent, which is the San Lorenzo, mm-hmm. like, I felt like the plot twist they put in there didn't really hit, like, the whole Sophie Nate thing. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah obviously, like, you know. And that's, like, it feels similar with, like, Elliot and this kid at the end with, like, the big hug or whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay, obviously that's what you were trying to show us, but, like, so maybe that's what it is. And, like, what I said earlier, mm-hmm. like, I can't put my finger on it. I think it's just the vibes. Yeah. Like, I think it's just maybe this writing. You don't enjoy the vibes of... This particular yeah. writing pair. Like, I think that might be what it is. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, I think we are going to cap it here because otherwise we are going around in circles. But thank you so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed. Beth, how would you rate the carnival job out of five? I'm almost scared to ask. <sighs> Here's the thing. I just didn't enjoy it very much. Mm-hmm. Like, there was, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I want to stress that. Like, they didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't like it. Just didn't hit for you. Yeah. And so, like, like I, my gut is, like, I want to give it, like, a 2.5. Mm-hmm. That feels really harsh. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, like, I can't think of any reason to give it more than that. Like, that 2.5 is comprised of, like, Parker 2000. Yeah. That little look that Hardison gives when he's looking at Parker on the mm-hmm. screen and like the utter adoration in that book. Yeah. And the shot of Sophie coming into focus over Nate's shoulder. Like mm-hmm. that's those two point five points. Yeah. And then I feel like the other half of the episode I was either confused or wasn't vibing with it or I was like, okay, but mm-hmm. sure. You know, like so I I don't know. Like if someone really likes this episode, I'm yeah. sh- like, you know, and can show me the the merits mm-hmm. of it specifically, like maybe I could be swayed, but I don't know. Like ultimately, I just I wouldn't go back and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I've said that about a leverage episode in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is one of the first one since, like, probably seasons one or two where I'm like, no, I would not want to rewatch mm-hmm. this episode. Just, like, I just don't care for it, you know? And again, subjective. No, it's okay. So yeah. what are you actually writing? Just two think, and a half? I think I have to because yeah. I can't, in good conscience, like, give it any higher because mm-hmm. I can't think of a reason to, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm not too offended because I'd probably give it a three or a three and a half, personally. I would not give it more than a three. Like, I, I think it's a good episode, but I don't think it's anything remarkable. And I can see how if you don't believe the connection between Elliot and the kid. 
I think the entire premise of the episode is a moot point. But I also just feel like even if I did believe the relationship between Elliot and the kid, I don't learn anything from it. Mm -hmm. Like this episode achieves nothing. Yeah. Is I think my like fundamental, like even if I did believe the relationship that they're trying to build, what's the point of it? It feels like an episode where you should have learned something. I feel like I should fundamentally understand Elliot better and I just don't. If anything, I'm more confused because I feel like this is a backtrack, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, especially after last season. Yeah. All right, lovely. The next episode, I'm so excited for you to see. It is called The Grave Danger Job. What do you think it's about? Ooh, okay. So I like the possibility of the word grave being Mm -hmm. a double entendre. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, like, a grave danger usually means, like, just sort of more dangerous, but, like, or imminent danger. Lots of danger. Danger cupcake with murder icing, to quote Hardison. So... Like, there's obviously that interpretation, but there's also, like, maybe there is a grave involved. Mm-hmm. Like, grave is in the place where a yeah, where you get something buried. is. Yeah. yeah. So there's a possibility. Remember, though, we're that. not in Supernatural. Yeah, I know. But, you know, <laughs> grave robbing is, like, a real thing. Mm-hmm. They could potentially be working with some, like, or working against some kind of, like, grave robber or some, mm-hmm. some kind of organised... Like, maybe, maybe it's based in, like, a funeral home or something. Yeah. Or a, um, like, you know how if someone, like, typically if, like, someone wealthy dies and they have, like, maybe an estate manager. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe there's something going on there. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I'm always very bad at guessing the leverage cons. I yeah. very rarely get anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be interesting. Or maybe, like, if we get some kind of mausoleum. Mm-hmm. situation could be fun it would be interesting like i think that presents an opportunity for like if one or two of the characters get stuck yeah in like a mausoleum or something mm-hmm. that could be a fun dynamic depending on which characters like if sophie and nate for example got stuck in a mausoleum and were forced to confront their fucking <laughs> shit you know you're really like we're just gonna lock him in the get along mausoleum like yeah you know that plot in like actually i don't know if you do but there's a plot in like how i met your mother where they literally lock two of the characters in a room and they're like you're not allowed out until you fucking sort your shit because we're so done with you i'm like that's me at nate and sophie <laughs> so like you know maybe they get locked in a mausoleum mm-hmm. i don't yeah. know Mausoleum knocking is your your guess. Well, I'm kind of leaning into the concept of like grave being yeah. like a misdirection, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's both dangerous and also a play on words. Yeah, like, like I just don't like grave danger, like they're in grave danger every week. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I feel like there has to be another play on that. Yeah. And I don't know another interpretation for the word grave. Yeah. Other than like a funeral mm-hmm. not a funeral, other than like a graveyard. Yeah. So I assume something there, but then if you're thinking about like theft or something, then you're probably looking at something a bit more upscale than your general grave, therefore mausoleum. Yeah. That's my train of thought. So rich dead people. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for listening to us today. It's been a long one. It's been a rambly one. Hope you enjoyed it anyway. Hope you are as terrified of smart houses as we are. (sighs) If you want to find us at all, you can find us on various social media platforms. And if you want to talk to us about anything, you can talk to us about literally anything. But suggested conversation topics include the two dozen things that I feel like we actually missed in this episode because I got derailed by smart homes for too long. Do you have points that you think would make me like this episode more? Because mm. I I would love to be convinced. If you also think it's fascinating, the list of episodes that these writers have written, because I've never looked at it before, but it is weird that beth seems to just not like what these dudes specifically write 
telling you, it's that supernatural brain rot gives me spidey senses. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Please have a lovely evening, afternoon, morning, night, lunch, brunch, 10 a.m., 4 a.m., depending on whatever time of the day and or night you are listening to us. Please join us again next week for The Grave Danger Job. Bye! Bye! Oh, wait. Sorry, while you were doing that, I was mm-hmm. thinking about graves. Yeah. Is there a chance mm-hmm. it could be relevant to, like, tombs? Like, okay. Like, yep. the British Museum stole things from Egypt kind of okay. situation. So you're thinking kind of like uh, the King George job crossed with, like, the Second David job or something like that? Yeah, that kind of vibe, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, maybe... We're robbing the British Museum? Maybe, mm-hmm. you know? Or maybe it's, like, someone's, like, an Indiana Jones type mm-hmm. and they're just out there stealing artifacts and they're like, that's... You shouldn't do that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, maybe the person they're trying to help, like, contacted them and they're like, this person stole stuff from my, like, heritage, Mm -hmm. like, my cultural land. Get it back. All right, lovely. What? (laughs) I mean, if you've got any more ideas, go right ahead. But I'm like... I don't know, Jamie. (laughs) What do you want me to get? Sustainable fish farming? I will. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you say that like a threat? (laughs) At this point, it is.